Attempt blocked by McNabb. To the right circle, a try, kick, save, Hill. Rebound, another try, save, Hill. A third try, save, and the rebound to the right corner. Nobody is ever satisfied with one, so we're back for a second hour of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Blob boots it ahead, sticks it left, Barbashev in, back to the right, a shot, score! Marcia so, 19 seconds in. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studio and live at LVSportsNetwork.com, here is Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two of the VGK Insider Show is brought to you by the Dollar Loan Center, where your first loan is on us. Apply for free at don'tbebroke.com to get up to $5,000. Ryan Wallace hanging out inside T-Mobile Arena. Chris Chapman back inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. And we tried and failed miserably to introduce a new contest that's going to be here on Fox Sports Las Vegas for a little while. Anyway. Okay, that's it. I wanted the, I wanted the, not because they looked like fish drop. One of these guys are jerks or something? Like the wrong one. No, Chad. that's not it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find it. You, this, 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 this is it. This is it right here. We have found the moment where you can no longer say that you don't have too many drops. Oh, you can't man. find the oh, right there drop. Is. There it is. They act like fish. They're there because they win, not because they act like fish. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Thanks so for it's your a time. It's a new contest. Hit the jackpot on Fox Sports Las Vegas. You can win up to $2,024 a day. And all you have to do is text a code word into our text line. The text line number is 702-876-1340. It will always be 702-876-1340. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Well, you know what that means. Anyway, here's the thing, though. We're going to give you a code word. You have to actually text that code word into our text line. If you text something else, like Park or Stark or... Tony Stark? Something other than the code word, you're not going to be registered for your chance to win. So, again, code word today is TARK. T-A-R-K. TARK. Like TARK the Shark. Yeah, listen, we want you to win from this show. Yes. Like, I don't care if the guy who's listening to Kofi and the company across the hall wins. We want our listeners to win. No, we want to be the team... We want to be the show that has the most wins in this contest. So text in 702-876-1340, code name TARK, T-A-R-K, TARK. That's how you qualify for your chance to win. Yes, like the greatest basketball coach the city has ever seen, Jerry Tarkanian, his nickname, TARK. Yep. T-A-R-K. Oh, look, we're getting blown oh, up Oh, we're getting them now. There we we're go. We're getting yes. them now. All right. Way to go, Teresa and Emily. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you texted us twice. I don't think you're entered twice, but nonetheless. Listen, hey. all, all I can say is I'm, I'm excited to see that Tark is actually coming in now and not the other variations on the word. So, again, I like the guy word. who sent in yarn. Yeah, yeah yarn. <laughs> yarn was a good one. And to be fair, like, it could just be A staticky signal, yeah. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not even saying that it's 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 a user area. I, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a spell check error. So, again... Go back, see what you need to do, and make sure that you put in the code word to 702-876-1340. Probably remind you one more time before we go off the air 
today. <laughs> By the way, in the, in the middle of all of these Tarks that have come in, got to recognize Darby Kelly, who tweeted at us that... Uh, the bottle of Dom P was considered worthless by the experts on Pawn Stars. Like, the guy walks in with, like, a 70-year-old bottle of Dom P, and they're like, eh, you didn't, you didn't keep it stored right, so it's worthless. And, and Derek is like, yeah, but there's got to be a collector who would just collect the bottle. Like, look, I'm the idiot who thinks the bottle is cool, so, like, I would love to have the bottle. They're like, yeah, people aren't going to open it up and drink it. Look, I'm not a champagne drinker, but the bottle is, like, 70 years old. I don't know if you could drink a 70-year-old bottle of champagne anyway. Mm-hmm. But it was a cool bottle and, you know, having the year that it was that it was created on there is, is is really cool too. So, I would have been the idiot who bought it, but I guess that's why I'm doing this and I'm not on Pawn Stars. So you knew this entire story? Well, I I, I watched the the episode when he brought it in. Yeah. Huh. That's okay. how I, that's how I I found out it was him. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the Golden Knights are taking on the Nashville Predators today. Uh, that game will drop uh, at just about 7 o'clock pregame show with me. That starts at 6 p.m. Uh, we'll hear from Alec Martinez in the pregame show. That'll be fun. Don't want to miss that. Uh, but let's take a look at this one, a deeper dive into the Vegas Golden Knights and the Nashville Predators. Chapman, on, on first blush, what are you expecting out of this game between Vegas and Nashville? Well, I... I, I think it should be pretty similar to the last time these two teams played, and, and that was a comfortable win for the Golden Knights. It wasn't that long ago. I feel like it was – was it on MLK Day that they played, I think? Um, I know I know it was sometime in January. But, look, the Golden Knights, a far superior team than the Nashville Predators. But I think I think Nashville has some, some players that you certainly can't sleep on because they, they, they do have some good players. And I'll start with Roman Yossi, who, who is a guy who – I think every time he comes to T-Mobile Arena, I, I just enjoy watching him play. I don't know if UC Saros is going to be in net for them, but certainly he's a guy who's oftentimes mentioned among one of the best goalies in the league. So, I mean, they, they do have good good players. I mean, I, I think they're just not there as a deep team. Like, certainly good players like Philip Forsberg is, is a guy who's also – Someone who you're like, wow. I mean, he's he's he is a elite player. Fifty six points, 29, 26 goals, twenty nine assists on the season. So uh, a, a really solid player there. But after Ryan O'Reilly and you start to go down their lineup, they're not a very deep team. And I think that's what kind of does them in. Like their blue line, they've got a couple of guys who who are solid. But after that, again, not really deep. They're a team that seems to play well when UC Saros is dialed in. And if you get if UC Saros gets in the zone and he has one of those nights, I don't care what you throw at him, you're not going to beat the Nashville Predators. Problem is, UC can't do it all on his own 82 nights a year. So they're a borderline playoff team. I think they probably will not make the playoffs. I think St. Louis maybe will edge them out. Or who knows, maybe another team from the Pacific Division. But... There's certainly not a team that you just overlook by any stretch. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I look at the Nashville Predators and I've been kind of beating this drum for a while now. Like, what's the point in being the eight seed perennially in the Stanley Cup playoffs? What's the point of, you know, finishing in a playoff spot knowing full well? And I think what was the the quote last year? It's, ah, it's just a... Uh, it's just the right to get swept in the first round by the Colorado Avalanche. Maybe that was two years ago, but it, it proved to be prophetic because 
when you're not at that level, when you haven't been able to build the pieces that you need in order to not just make the playoffs but also go on a deep run, I start to question what the point is of all of this. So in in a lot of ways, I feel like Nashville is is right there, but I also kind of look at that as their identity, right? Like that is who they have been outside of their run to the to the Stanley Cup final against the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, seven years ago. Like that is who the the Nashville Predators have been. Now, I will say on any given night, they can give you fits. As you mentioned, Philip Forsberg, uh, one of the most interesting offensive players you're going to see in the game today. Roman Yossi, uh, a phenomenal defenseman. He's, he's a rover in the offensive zone. He's so hard to keep track of, and that is where the true genesis and driver of their offense comes from. It's Roman Yossi and then kind of everybody else. I have liked the addition of Ryan O'Reilly. I think that, you know, you got uh, obviously a guy that's won the Stanley Cup before. You get that leadership uh He's harder to play against, kind of a sandpaper type of guy. But I still don't know that that they've moved the needle enough for Nashville where I'm going to sit there and say, even if they get into the postseason, they're good enough to win a round or two or go on a run. I I know that things can happen, but I just don't see it with that team. Yeah, I I think the problem with with them is... When they make the playoffs, they're either the seven or eight seed. And, and look, nobody's going to say that they have an easy division, but I, I believe that there's no easy divisions in the NHL. But theirs is particularly tough with the three teams that they're they're trying to get ahead of to not be in one of those wild card games. But there's a, there's an old adage, and and I subscribe to it, and that mm. the worst thing you can be in sports is mediocre. Yeah. And the Nashville Predators are about as mediocre of a team as it gets. Look, they're never terrible. But as you mentioned, outside of that one run to the Stanley Cup Finals, they really have not been a threat to win in the playoffs. Um, I think the, the year after they followed it up, I think they lost in Game 7 to Winnipeg, and then the Golden Knights, of course, beat Winnipeg to go to the Stanley Cup Final. Like, that that year, that was probably their best chance to get back, and they, they fell in the, the, the semifinals of the conference. So, boy, Vegas and Nashville would have been a great series that year. You would have had some interesting... Uh, obviously uh, uh, matchups there. But, yeah, as you mentioned, Roman Yossi, he is a superstar. He's a Norris Trophy-winning defenseman. He He's a guy who, look, he, he can bring it every night. But, again, they just don't have much help. Like, we talked last week about how the Carolina Hurricanes don't have that superstar player. The Predators have that superstar player. The problem is Carolina Hurricanes are deep, whereas... The Nashville Predators, they don't really have much after their first line. So let's talk about top lines right now for the Vegas Golden Knights. As as we saw yesterday against San Jose, Bruce Cassidy moves Chandler Stevenson out from the middle of the ice. He puts him on the wing with William Carlson and Mark Stone. Carlson obviously scores a goal in the first period for the Vegas Golden Knights. With the line of Barbashev, Wah, and Marcia so playing so well. And I think understanding, recognizing that you need more offense from everyone else around that line. To me, that was an opportunity for Bruce Cassidy to, to jumpstart Chandler Stevenson to a degree and to get his three best offensive players that are still left in the lineup playing together to see if something can can spark them. So how did you take that line? What did you think of their game yesterday? And how long do you think that that can work? Well, I think it was a good game to experiment 
with that line because if things don't go right, you have the opportunity to make adjustments and, and change the lines up and still be a much superior team to your opponent. Um, look, tonight, I'm sure he's going to start with that line, but one thing I've learned with Bruce is he doesn't hesitate to to, to make changes on the fly if he has to. Yeah. You know, there's some coaches who are set in their lines and, look, you're either going to go out and give it to me or you're not. Whereas Bruce, he 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 likes to tinker with his lines if things don't go well. So I think we'll we'll get a better idea tonight on how that line looks as as a threesome because it's really tough to gauge against a, a team that, for all intents and purposes, is a glorified AHL team. Um, so I think we, we, we'll get a better idea Chapman, tonight. Chapman, why are you being so mean to San Jose? I mean, the funny thing is they're not the worst team in the league. No, they're not. But the worst team in the league has missed their best player for, what, five, six weeks? Okay, so San Jose, full strength. Chicago, full strength. Who's worse? San Jose. Okay. Um, I, I'm intrigued by Stevenson, Carlson, and Stone, and, and it goes beyond just individual games. So you know how we were talking last week, like, has Nick Wad done enough to stick with Ivan Barbashev and Jonathan Marcheseau? And and the numbers would tell you that they have, right? Like the numbers would tell you that that trio should not be broken up. How prolific they have been together, it, it, it gives you an idea that if you can have that line going, you can make some adjustments around them to perhaps make you deeper. And the idea that you're willing to move Chandler Stevenson off the wing in order to try to find more offense, spark some guys, I I think is important because, hear me out, Chapman, if you are starting to think about playoff series, if you're starting to think about how the Golden Knights were able to shut down Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, how they were able to shut down the likes of Rope Hintz and Jason Robertson, how they were able to shut down Mark Shifley and... Well, Pierre-Luc Dubois shot himself down. But the fact of the matter is, the Golden Knights, in every single series that they played, had to shut down elite offensive talent. And how did they do that? Well, they had a really, really good shutdown third line. It was William Carlson, it was Riley Smith, and it was Michael Amadio for most of that postseason run. So the idea to me is, okay, if you can get something going with Carlson and Stone, could you then in turn move Stevenson away from those two guys, and maybe have him play with Jack Eichel. You want to talk about speed, creativity, offensive firepower. You can put those two guys together in Stevenson and Stone, and whether you throw Paul Cotter into the mix or somebody else, it gives you options to have a loaded top nine where everybody can score, and then you put the likes of William Carlson and Mark Stone together as a duo and you task them with shutting down Connor McDavid or Dreisaitl or Dubois or anyone else you can throw their way that makes them lethal yeah I think I think the idea that you have more than a top six is a good problem to have Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know obviously every team in the league would love to be able to say they they can roll three lines without a problem and then have arguably the best fourth line in the NHL on well, top that of, would, but that would change. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the fourth line is still good without Nick Waugh. I mean, Kolasar and and uh, Howden and, 
You would imagine that's what it would be. Yeah, Colasar, Howden, and Carrier. Look, yeah. I still like that line because sure. I think I think Brett Howden is is a guy who has the ability. Look, he's never going to put up prolific offensive numbers. Yeah, but he he's good in the role. Obviously, Colasar and Carrier have the experience of being there. Both of those guys understand what their jobs are. And look, if you get anything offensive out of those two guys, it's certainly a bonus. But what what you ask them to do, they're more than capable of going out there and doing that job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a, it's a really good problem to have. I mean, look, we don't know what this team's going to do at the deadline. So the idea that they could add and get better certainly is is out there as well. But when you look at what they have today, February 20th, right now against the Nashville Predators, and then you look ahead to when they get healthy, mm-hmm. it's scary. It really is scary. The combinations that Bruce Cassidy can use to, to, to like again, we 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 talked about it last week. He doesn't chase matchups. I don't think I don't think that's in their DNA to go out and chase matchups. Mm-hmm. But you can set the table by putting guys out there and putting guys together where you have much more favorable matchups. I mean, we saw the job that William Carlson was able to do in that series against Edmonton last year. It was almost like checkmate. Like Bruce Cassidy was like, all right, we we we, we see what you're doing. Jay Woodcroft, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a couple plays on the board, and now it's checkmate. But it wasn't just Carlson. No, no, no. And but- that and that's that's what I'm trying to think about here is is this an experimentation period for Bruce Cassidy, right? Like you expect Eichel's gonna be back when he does. You know that you can go back to Eichel with Barbashev and Marcia So. You know that's probably going to be a really good line for you. You know that there are old chemistry spots where you can kind of pull together pairs and get really good, solid play. But I also think that as you get closer to the postseason, understanding that this year is not exactly the same as last year, I, I think that there's going to be a level of experimentation. And part of that experimentation yesterday was Mason Morelli making his NHL debut. He scores a power play goal. He adds an assist. He's a career two points per game player. What did you think of Mason Morelli, Chapman? I thought it was it was a really cool story. You know, he... 27 years old, makes his NHL debut. Mm-hmm. Family flies in. I'm not sure where, where they're from, but they were at the game yesterday. So that's always really cool when, when your family is in attendance. And you get to send them home happy. I'm hoping that they're making the trip here tonight. It's obviously a 90-minute flight from San Jose to Vegas. So hopefully they're, they're in the fortress again tonight, and, and maybe they'll get to see some more uh, of Mason. Minot, North Dakota, Chapman. Ah, yeah. that's that's. Very interesting. There it is. So Bruce Cassidy addressed the media earlier today. Obviously, the big news coming into this game is that Shea Theodore is expected to play. Uh, should slot right back in with Braden McNabb. So you're looking at, for the second time this season, the Golden Knights' full complement of their sixth defenseman in a game. Uh, hasn't happened very often, but we're hopeful that it'll it'll be something that we see on a night-in, night-out basis the rest of the way. So let's go to Bruce Cassidy as he addressed the media earlier today after morning skate. Well, it's not going to change how we play, but we'll probably be cleaner on the exits. Maybe some easier entries in the neutral zone. It's the ability to move the puck, um, find people at the right time. It's just... It's just exceptional, right? Offensive blue line play, which has been better lately, been good. Marty was really good the other night and um, or yesterday afternoon in San Jose, and we've gotten more production out of that area of the game, and that should continue to grow with, with Theo. And then the power play, obviously, is um, really good at the top. So 
I would like to see, I, I would assume we'll see maybe more offensive growth in our game, just because that's his strength. Do you have to ease him in at all, or is it just kind of back to what you No, he'll probably play very close to his minutes. Or, um, you know, once you're cleared, you're cleared, right? So I would guess it would depend on his ability to handle those minutes. It won't be the his injury or anything like that. It's his conditioning where it needs to be. He's an effortless skater, so that helps him. Um, so we'll keep an eye on it, but... That'll be just completely dependent on, well, a time and score too, right? I mean, if we're chasing the game, usually your offensive guys are out there more. If it's for a head, then it's a little more balanced. Um, and, and how he handles the workload. Jet being out kind of allows you these options to try. Like, we know what the Barbershop line is doing off the block. Marshall's already going out. Now you've got Carlson and Stone. Yeah, I mean, it's we've moved it around for different reasons, but yes. Um, Nick was a guy that we thought could move up. We, it's funny is we've moved him up a lot on the wing and it hasn't worked out as well. I just think he's a natural centerman. So, um, but now Stevie has played with Jack and Stoney and obviously had success last year. So why not Carly try it? Um, it forces Amadio a to go, you know, maybe into the middle for a game or two. We'll see how that plays out. He's done it, done it well at times. Um, Howie's played a lot in the middle, so we have other players that can play the middle. So it, it would be matchup too, to be honest with you. If, if we felt that we couldn't handle a matchup down below because of the center position, we would move Stevie back to the middle and use the three guys. But um, tonight we feel we, we should be okay, but we'll see. We'll see how the game plays out. Just like yesterday, we thought we'd be okay with Stevie out of the middle, but you know, we, those are in-games adjustments you make depending on how it plays out. Well, if they were opposite hands, it'd be even better because they can take the face-offs, right? But um, that's not the case in this one. So, But it's good. I mean, yesterday it seemed like centers were getting thrown out every face-off, so to have a couple guys is, is, is good. But at the end of the day, I think it just frees up Stevie a little, a little less defensive responsibility to maybe attack. And it seemed like last night he was attacking more um, and I think had more shot attempts than, than he typically does. So maybe that's a part of the game that loosens him up. Um, had a breakaway in all alone, but he got that through the middle anyway, where he usually comes from. So uh, I don't think it's going to change his game a ton, but um, it's always good when you have two centers on a line. It, it just gives you more accountability in, in, in your own end. Well, you going the second? Is that true, Dan? You're usually on top of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right, Ashley, I'll take your word for it. <clears throat> Well, that's the group that certainly played well last year when it really mattered. Um, there's a comfort level with each pair, I think, between themselves and with John and myself and the staff. Um, we feel like it's a good balance, each pair. Uh, they have, as I said, they've had success together. So I think it, it's, it's good that way, that there's a confidence, quiet confidence in the group knowing that, hey, this is, my, this is what the role I'm going to be given. Um, we're going to play against everybody. And anybody, um, you know, and I want to do my part for the other five guys, right? Because they've been together a while now. So that that's what it gives us. And there's a little bit more just playing now than maybe worrying about who your partner is, thinking about, okay, what do I got to do for them? And how, how do I compliment them and help ease them? Um, and sometimes that's not the end of the world when you switch partners to do that too from periodically because now the player gets back to, okay, I just got to worry about my game. 
and that's why we do switch partners sometimes in, in season, even when they're all healthy. Now, we haven't had that luxury this year, but uh, last year we did a little bit of that. That was Bruce Cassidy from earlier today as he addressed the media after morning skate heading into this game tonight against the Nashville Predators. I kind of spoke to some of the experimentation right now with, with Jack Eichel out of the lineup, what can and can't work. Obviously, Shea Theodore returning to the lineup, what he's going to bring to the table. Uh, more offense certainly is, is one aspect of it. The The power play part we've we've touched on a bit and, and what Shea does so well, getting shots through from the point, his ability to walk the line, open up different seams and angles. You expect that that will come back, maybe not all at once here in this game today, but as Shea gets more comfortable and he gets himself back and the timing returns, he's going to be every bit the offensive player that he was at the beginning of the season this year. And then, Chapman, I'm going to open it up to beyond just the power play because I know a lot of people are hung up on the power play numbers for the Golden Knights not being obviously as they were as good as they were in the first 20, 25 games of the year. Shea Theodore going out of the lineup certainly can, can explain some of that. But more so for me, we have we have talked about puck management at times and we've talked about this idea that for Vegas in order to maximize their game they can't beat themselves in order for this team to take the next step to to get their game in order so to speak as Bruce Cassidy's talked about puck management has to be at the top of your list and when you bring a player in like Shea Theodore who thinks the game at a high level who skates so effortlessly, puck management starts in your own zone. Puck management starts in terms of your breakouts, in terms of how you move the puck from your zone through the neutral zone into the offensive zone. And I think more than anything, what Shea Theodore can do for you as one man in that particular spot is something no one else on this team can really replicate on a night-to-night basis, shift-to-shift basis, and that's where his impact is going to be felt the greatest. Well, yeah, you look at the last two nights, the, the, the Carolina, well, not the last two, but two of the last three games, Carolina and Minnesota, the Golden Knights lost both of those games because of their inability to yeah. manage the puck. Breakout turnovers. Multiple mistakes in, in those games. Obviously, the Daniel Merrimanoff one on the power play was, was is going to be one that probably looked at and they said, oh, man, we really really let one get away there. Uh, but look, puck management, it's really important, especially against teams that, that that have the ability to punish you when you make mistakes, as Carolina and Minnesota both did. Um, look, I, I, I don't know how the Wild put seven goals up in one period, but I would imagine that Vancouver probably made multiple mistakes in that game. Good teams are going to punish you when, you when you make mistakes. It's just the way it is. And, and there's so much parity in the league that teams like Minnesota, who who probably aren't going to make the playoffs, they're still not pushovers. They're mm-hmm. still not bad teams. Carolina, who will make the playoffs, they're a Stanley Cup contender. The difference in those games is your inability to manage the puck in, in your own zone and, and your inability to, to, to really get the puck through the neutral zone without mistakes. And, and if you do that again tonight, you, you, you could be looking at an L. But I think when you add Shea Theodore into the fold, mm-hmm. you, you, you add a guy who... I, I would say is a bit of a calming influence moving the puck. You know, it, it takes a lot of pressure off guys who may not may, that may not be their role and they're kind of forced into it. So it'll be interesting to see just how quickly Shea is able to find his game. Hopefully for the Golden Knights, he, he's able to find it pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I thought it was important that Bruce mentioned because he was asked, you know, what the workload was going to look like for Shea. And like he said, look, when you're cleared, you're cleared. So 
I would expect Shea Theodore to, to play a full complement of minutes tonight mm-hmm. because he, he, as Bruce said, he's been cleared. So he, he's out there. He, he's ready to go. So I don't foresee there being an issue with his conditioning because clearly when you're skating on your own, it's a thing where you're getting in shape, game shape as well. Mm-hmm. There might be some rust early on. In fact, I would expect it. But I would imagine by the third period, we're going to see Shea Theodore pretty comfortable with, with himself out, out there on the ice. It's 35 games, Chapman. It's a long time. Yeah, but I, I think it might take him a couple of games to get himself back to where he was. Getting himself back to where he was and being comfortable are two very different things. I, I think, think it, okay, that's fair. I think it's going to take him a couple of games to get comfortable. I think he'll be comfortable early, but I think it may take a little bit of time for him to get back to, to being the player that we expect him to be out there on the ice. Aiden Hill expected to start for the Golden Knights. What are you looking for out of Aiden? A bounce back. Yeah. You know, the team bounced back yesterday against San Jose. They did what they needed to do against a bad team. They they withstood a, an, an initial flurry of punches from the Sharks, and then the superior team in, in, imposed their will. I think Aiden Hill, I think he, look, he, he didn't play a good game on Saturday, mm-hmm. and there there's no way around that. I expect him to be a lot better tonight than he was on Saturday. All right. That's fun. I'm looking forward. Like I, I like it when the Nashville Predators come to town. I really do. Uh, I wish Nashville, again, I wish Nashville would be a team that, that leans into temporary pain in order to get themselves to a spot where when they do get back to the postseason, they can actually go on a run. We, we know how fun those runs can be for the Predators in Nashville and what that market can be for the National Hockey League. But I, I just feel like right now the Predators are in that spin cycle where yeah, you talk yourself into making the playoffs only to get uh, pounced in the first round. Um, I don't see why you continue to do that, but you know, with, with Barry Trotz at the helm now, maybe, just maybe, things will be different for the Predators. Uh, one-timers coming up next on the VGK Insider Show. Carlson left corner, centered, one-timer, score! It's time for one-timers. one-timers. A quick look at news and notes from around the National Hockey League. Brought to you by Paul Padalaw. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. One-timers brought to you by Paul Padalaw. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. News and notes from around the National Hockey League. We start off with the story that keeps on giving, though, frankly, I'm hopeful this is the last we ever have to talk about it. Gary Bettman, Commissioner Gary Bettman, upholds Morgan Riley's five-game suspension. Bettman said that Riley's actions were not merely careless or reckless. They were intentional. And in the report, Bettman also states that Riley admitted to seeking retribution for what he believed was a disrespectful act that he felt was intended to embarrass the Leafs. I just don't understand what anybody thought would happen here. Bettman also went on to say that given Riley's history, more specifically his lack of history with supplemental discipline, that's the reason why the suspension wasn't longer. I don't understand this idea that if somebody hurts your feelings, it is then okay for you to go and assault them. I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Morgan Riley has the five-game suspension upheld. Is that at all surprising to you, Chapman? No, it's not surprising at all. I mean, you're not going to go to the commissioner of the league and tell them that 
you intentionally cross-checked the guy in the face because you were upset with the way he scored he, a goal. But 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 he did. He did. Yeah, I know, I know, and you're not going to win that appeal. Like that's not. I'm I'm glad he was honest about it, but yeah, but you're you're not going to win that appeal, bud. Like, look, I mean, I think the idea that Gary Bettman didn't tack more games on is probably something Morgan Riley should be happy about. Well, to be fair, had Gary Bettman tacked on more games, then <laughs> more believe it or not, Morgan Riley in the NHLPA could have appealed to an independent arbitrator. So they would have cried more than they already are. Well, yes, but like it's all in it's all in the CBA. It's within their right, absolutely. But again, like I I don't understand the I don't understand the logic. I really don't get it. Like listen, if you're upset that a team is running the score up on you, don't let them run the score up. And they didn't up even on you. run the score up. It wasn't like it was 7 to 1. No, no, it I was know, it was 4-3 at the time. I know, but but my point is if something happens in a game that you feel is being done purposefully to embarrass you, don't put yourself in a position to be embarrassed. Well, that's it, right? You you, you don't lose the season series to the Ottawa Senators. You don't get beat 4-3, 5-3 after the empty net goal. And, like, the crazy thing about this is this might be a galvanizing moment for, ten, for Toronto, right? Like, they have won every single game of Morgan Riley's suspension. Yeah. This his, might his, be his first game back is uh, Thursday night, I think. Right, exactly. So this might be one of those moments inside of a magical run for Toronto. I doubt it. It's Toronto. I, I know, but I'm saying it could be right. Like you could have this moment where the Toronto Maple Leafs bandy together because the big mean Department of Player Safety is after Toronto, and they feel like their feelings should have been kept in higher regard. Maybe, just maybe, this is exactly what the Maple Leafs needed. If that's the case, good for them. I mean, yeah, I, you gotta, I, you got to find whatever it is to that kind of pushes you, you yeah. in, in that direction. I mean, I won't be rooting for them, but, but I mean, but, it, 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 listen, at the end of the day, it would be a fun story if the Toronto Maple Leafs actually got everything together and made sure. a run. Like, it would be, it, it would be good for hockey if, yeah. if the Maple Leafs make a run to the Stanley Cup final. A, because... They're in Toronto. All of Canada would be rooting against them. Yes. And then you have whoever their opponent is, where pretty much everyone in the United States would be rooting against them. It would legitimately be Toronto against the world, which is probably how they feel right now. It's how they. It's their default setting, Chapman. Yeah. It it, it would be good. And listen, if I, I I I was pretty clear about it last week. I like Morgan Riley. I think he's a really good yeah, guy. Yeah. I just think he did something stupid, and and he owned up to it now mm-hmm. with the commissioner. Punishment's going to stand, and I don't, you, you put it behind you. And I don't think he was ever trying to. I don't think he was ever trying to soften what he was intending to do. I just think that he truly believes, as do the Maple Leafs, as do hockey players in general, that if you're embarrassed by somebody else's actions. It is an unwritten rule that you can go over there and engage them in a way that is assaultish. Yeah, it's that's and, a, and it's wrong. The unwritten rule is stupid. Well, how many un- unwritten rules are there in hockey, Chapman? There, there, I mean, probably more than we can name. I'm losing count of all of them. Yeah, right. Like you can't put your top power play unit on the ice if you have more than a three or four goal lead late in the game. Like you, you, you know, goalie goals probably shouldn't even be a thing that anyone thinks about because that should be an unwritten rule. Like there are so many things that you shouldn't be able to do. And like, here's the thing that I think is really interesting about all this. 
The same week that Ridley Gregg took a slap shot into an empty net and hurt the Maple Leafs' feelings, Jake Wallman <laughs> won a game in <laughs> overtime on a penalty shot against the Vancouver Canucks and did the gritty. <laughs> yeah. And and you want to know what happened in that game, Chapman? Nothing. Nothing. He Nothing. did the gritty. He danced. He was intentionally trying to hurt their feelings and rub it in. And what happened? Nothing. Yeah. I showed my age last week by not knowing what the gritty was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, just saying. And and here I was thinking gritty like the mascot, and it's actually G-R-I-D-D-Y, not G-R-I-T-T-Y. Well, what? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not gritty like the mascot, who's G-R-I-T-T-Y. It's gritty. Yeah. G-R-I-D-D-Y. Like... I, I, I don't know. Speaking of Gritty the mascot, did you see the announcement for the Gritty Earmuff game giveaway? No. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. Go go check it out on social media. There's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a Gritty commercial featuring John Tortorella. But it's not John Tortorella like in the moment, in the commercial acting. It's just various parts of John Tortorella's press conferences throughout the year that have been phenomenal. And Gritty sitting there and then needing to put the earmuffs on because John Tortorella is a colorful speaker. Okay, I'm looking at the picture right now. Oh, it's uh, good. Russian Machine Never Breaks. Yep, yep, yep. Great great follow, by the way. Russian Machine Never Breaks. Yeah, good stuff. Um, okay, so we talked about the Vancouver Canucks losing yesterday 10-7 to to the Minnesota Wild. I- I've got some numbers, Chapman, that I find really intriguing, really interesting out of the game. Obviously, the Wild scored seven goals, seven goals, Chapman, in the third period to beat Vancouver 10-7. to They were losing 5-3 to <laughs> at the second intermission. Ten goals, that's a franchise record for the Minnesota Wild. Their previous best was eight goals. That's the most they'd ever scored in a game. Seven goals in a period is the most in a period since the Capitals did that against the Lightning in February of 1999. And there were three hat-tricks in the game, Chapman. Three of them. JT Miller scored a hat-trick. Joel Erickson Eck scored a hat-trick. Kirill Kaprizov scored a hat-trick. The last time there were three hat-tricks in a game, it was the Los Angeles Kings in 1992. Wow. 1992, the last time there were three hat-tricks in a game and the first time since 1999 that a team scored seven goals in a period. So about that hat-trick, the game was in Minnesota. It was was in St. Paul. So Joel Erickson-Eck, who scored the first Mm hat-trick for the Wild, scored his a minute and 44 into the third period. After his second goal of the game, which came 29 seconds into the period, and sandwiched in the middle of that was Kirill Kaprizov's second goal, which came at a minute and... I'm sorry, that was Kaprizov's first goal. I have no idea what you're saying. So Erickson scored his hat trick before Kaprizov. Yes. So the game is in Minnesota. So Mm -hmm. when you're a Wild fan and Erickson X scores that hat trick and you throw your hat on the ice and you're all excited and you scream and cheer... But then Kaprizov comes back and scores three goals in the third period. What do you do if you've already thrown your hat on the ice? Like, what do you throw on the ice? Well, I I would assume that you've already bought a replacement hat, and you throw that one too. Well, it seemed like the hat tricks came so fast. Like, 
Kaprizov scored his first goal a minute and 23 into the, the second period or third period. Uh -huh. Then he scored his second at 512 of the third period. So I guess in theory, you had 14 minutes to go buy a replacement hat. Sure. Because yeah. his, his third goal came with the empty net. <laughs> empty net. You're down 9-7 and you've got the empty net. Yeah. But he scores his third and final goal with two seconds to go in the game to make it a 10-7 win. So I guess in theory, fans had time to go down and buy a new hat. I cannot believe Kirill Kaprizov would show up the Vancouver Canucks by scoring a hat trick with two seconds left into an empty net. How could he do such a thing? By the way, James Broden scored, or Jonas Broden scored. Oh, Chapman. An empty net goal. It's Jonas Brodeen, buddy. Jonas Brodeen. What, what did I say, Broden? Yeah. Uh, Brodeen, yes. Not, not the biggest Minnesota Wild name guy, but uh, when they come back here, I'll apologize to him. Will you? Yes. Like, truthfully? Yeah. If I can find him, I will. What do you mean if you can find him? He's going to be in the locker room. Yeah, I'll go. I don't know what he looks like, so I'll, I'll have to seek Chat him out. Chapman, come on, Apologize. I'll be like, I'll be like Jonas, Jonas, brother, listen, man. <laughs> They've got on, on our, plates. On our, yeah, yeah, but usually those nameplates are gone by the time we walk into the locker room. Just request them. That's all you got to do. You know walk what? Up, I, wa just walk up to him and be like, hey, I butchered your name three times on the VGK Insider Show. Yes, if we if we have a, because maybe, maybe they'll have a morning skate. I'll, I'll go seek mm -hmm. him out before the morning skate. Yep, you do that. And apologize. I'm Jonas, expecting. Jonas, my guy. I, I, I screwed up, man. I thought your name was Jonas Broden. I started by no, calling well, you, you I started by calling you Jonas. Yeah. Jonas Broden. Yeah. <laughs> like he's a brother or something. Yeah. I don't I don't understand. Uh, okay. Uh do you enjoy the outdoor games over the weekend? I like the the results of the first one, that's for sure. Did you see the Islanders not dress up as anything but professional hockey players on their walk in? Is that so on brand for them? It like the question I have for you, did Lou Lamorello know that it was funny? Or is that unintentionally funny and it's just a byproduct of being Lou Lamorello? I think he, I, I want to say Lou embraced it, embraced the not being funny, <laughs> to be intentionally that. funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was really funny. Like, you've got, you've got Rocky going to the ice. You've got the, the Sopranos, Sopranos yeah. going to the ice. Like, it was fun. It was cool. And then it's the Islanders just dressing up as the hockey Islanders. players. Yeah. You got to represent yourself, I guess. Stay true to who you are, New York. Stay true to who you are. Those are your one-timers for today, Monday, Tuesday. Boy, oh boy, I am slipping, Chapman. It's Tuesday, February twentieth. Catching up with Chapman is next. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for catching up with Chapman. Okay, Ryan. So last week we talked about the blistering goal-scoring pace that Austin Matthews is on. He scored his 49th goal in 53 games yesterday, yep. and he has an unlikely fan pulling for him to surpass 65 goals, and that would be Alexander Ovechkin, who gave an interview recently to a Russian publication, and he said that he is... If you look at current hockey, it has a lot more goals. It is more open, so this could be expected. God grant that he beat me. So Ovechkin rooting for Austin Matthews to, to beat his goal-scoring record of 65. And uh, recently, it was reported in The Athletic by, I'm assuming this is Jonas Siegel. Matthews is on pace for the best, second-best scoring season of all time when it comes to era-adjusted goals. If he hits the target of this year, 74 goals, only Brett Hall's 86-goal 
campaign in 1990-91, which adjusts to 78 markers, will be better. Ovechkin adjusted for 72 back in 2007-2008. So uh, pretty cool. Ovechkin, I'm sorry, Matthews, 348 goals in 534 games is actually ahead of Ovechkin through the same amount of games. Yeah, it's going to be unfortunate for Ovechkin when he breaks Gretzky's record and then, you know, eight, ten years later, it'll be Austin Matthews in possession. Pre-game show coming up with me. That's next right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Thank you.